get ready to strap on your boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode, I have a special guest with me. Slater Viktorov is the founder and CTO at Indico Data. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. Um, just in a, in a nutshell, say I'm in an elevator and I'm an investor and you want to pitch me Indico Data. What exactly does it do in layman's terms? Uh, Indico Data is an unstructured data platform. So wherever you've got text, audio, images, right, all of that broadly uh, unstructured data documents, you know, we have a set of AI tools that let non-technical people, you know, kind of create their own uh, applications on top of that sort of data. Uh, which you know generally has been very difficult, right? And so when you say build an application on top of data, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go towards my listeners who probably mm-hmm. don't know what you they have no idea what you just said. I'm gonna break it down into like let's say there's a Google Doc, right, mm-hmm. or or a Microsoft Word document, and inside that document there are some images, there are some text paragraphs, there might be uh, you know an audio note that you made from your iPhone. Yep, and totally. so what what would I do with that exactly? How, and, and how does artificial intelligence, uh, you know, come into play here? Yeah. So the way to think about it, there's three three things you can do, really. There's you can automate something. Right. So that's imagine that, you know, the Google Doc is a, an invoice or a contract or something like that. And you've got a hundred or, you know, like a thousand of them. Right. Just a, a whole bunch of them. It's like not not really for individuals. It's for, you know, large enterprises. Uh, but, you know, you've got a whole bunch of these contracts that you want to churn through, right? Uh, and you would sort of show the machine a couple of examples. You know, here's how I process these documents. Here's the information I care about in this contract. And then it sort of churns through the rest of it in either, you know, sort of a, an automated or sort of an augmented assisted way, depending on, you know, sort of what you're looking for. Uh, okay. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the, you know, that's a really common one on sort of automate. There's also sort of broader analysis, right? Just like I've got questions that I want to ask. Uh, and there you come up with sort of specific questions. So it's almost like a knowledge base. So if I have a lot yeah, of documentation, do I, I have a lot yeah. of documentation, I need to get answers that are regularly asked by clients or employees. Yeah. And you, you can ask the AI, well, how do I find out what the percentage, uh, you know, daily invoice income is? And then it would be able to totally. parse the data and spit out an answer for me rather than having to find someone to go through a thousand spreadsheets or whatever and figure out the number, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great example of, you know, an analysis kind of use case. Uh, though okay. I would say it's usually it's usually like PDFs more than you're talking spreadsheets. Sure. Uh, but, you know, like... Uh, it's data, basically. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, the unstructured stuff just happens to be particular tri- particularly tricky. So, you know, images and, uh, you know, text and language and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, when it's in an Excel document and rows and columns, it's just kind of, it's a lot, lot easier to deal with uh, is the delta cool. there. So let's take a step back. The episode that we're doing today is how AI is going to evolve in the business world or how it's going to be used in the business world or where it's headed, right? Where is, where is AI headed in the business world? Mm-hmm. And so what are, what are the top, like, say, three things that AI is being used for in business today that maybe not 10 years ago? I mean, frankly, you know, automation has been huge. You know, I think that that's obviously the elephant in the room. So I think that's, a, you know, as reasonable a place to start as any is, you know, you've seen a lot of, I think, variations in how people apply it to automation. Um, you know, I think that you have on the one side sort of RPA, right? And they're using certainly a good amount of AI technology, but that's sort of about 
finding where elements are on a screen. So, you know, you can click the right button that, you know, maybe a human used to click that button on the interface. Uh, but, you know, I think you're starting to see a lot more happening, certainly in the document space, you know, contract analysis, invoice processing, you know, those are huge. Um, and, you know, like, uh, just if you think uh, banking financial services, right, they deal with so much paper, you know, loan applications, mortgage documents, appraisals. So, you know, that kind of whole world of, of document analysis and document, uh, you know, automation and augmentation, that, that, that's getting, you know, pretty, pretty big. Yeah, from what I can tell, it seems like a lot of smart contracts, like in the crypto and blockchain space, are implementing AI because, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of paperwork between two parties, like say a buyer and a seller, you know, or a lawyer and a client, and there's money being exchanged and there are contracts being written up. And it's a very long, tedious process where you have to not only send the transaction through the bank or a credit card, but then you have to fill out paperwork, mail it in through FedEx, mm -hmm. sign. And there's a million things you have to do, right? Well, AI can do all of it automatically based on a set of programmed, uh, you know, actions. So it knows what it's supposed to do. Where, where does AI come? Like what I'm curious about and what I think the listeners are going to want to know exactly when it comes to what you're mentioning, um, documents and, and contracts and things like that. Wh why does the AI do a better job than say humans when it comes to the transactions and the, and the yeah. contracts? So let me, let me maybe try to change your way of thinking about this a little bit. Cause I'll say that really, and I think a lot of people do have this mentality, right. Of sort of AI agents, right. It's actually, it's a very bad model um, because that's not actually what, what is happening. That's not what they are doing. It's actually those actions are 100% software. There, there's really no AI involved in there whatsoever, right. You know, that's an a API hook that says, okay, you know, execute this, execute that, right? So where you see AI coming in in these, you know, let's use the contract example because I think it's a good one. So let's say I sign, you know, a thousand sales contract with folks and, you know, some new data regulation comes out, right? Uh, I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but now, you know, I have to look through each of these contracts and figure out, okay, you know, am I in compliance? Am I not in compliance, right? That, you know, and this is something that, uh, you know, companies do all the time, you know? very, very common. So where you see the AI come in, right, is then that idea of, okay, you know, let's figure out what analysis you have to do to that contract to figure out whether or not you're in compliance, and then help you because, uh, you know, again, like, when you get to the scale of these large enterprises, you know, you're talking about initiatives that are going to be lasting years and costing millions of dollars just to do this sort of contract audit and the contracts can be like 50 pages long or even you or two or 200 pages Absolutely. but so so you're telling me the ai at this point today is able to review a 200 page contract and it, it knows that you know these are the these are the clauses that are in there these are the terms that are in there these are all legit it's missing this clause it's missing this you know, yeah, absolutely. Really? Right. And oh, I'll wow. say, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty contracts. powerful, man. Yeah. You know, that's probably, you know, like the edge of what is possible, but that's exactly the kind of stuff that we do. In fact, you know, we even go up to like thousand page long documents and, you know, what I will say, you know, and, and this I think is important on, on sort of the model is it is like assistive technology first and foremost. Right. So, you know, it's, it's less that, you know, the AI does this in, uh, like an autonomous way. And it's much more that sort of a human working hand in hand with an AI can, you know, get through this work, you know, 10 uh, times or more faster than they could otherwise. But can you take that same statement and say, 
it's like a human working with a lawyer, but instead you just have this assisted AI. Are you able to perform the same duties? You know, I think that, it, I mean, yes, but I think the, the important, the analogy I really like is a bionic arm almost, right? So we see it's really, really rare that you're going to like replace that lawyer. It's much more common that you're going to take that lawyer and say right now, 90% of the work the lawyer has to do is like really repetitive and like not very interesting or innovative, right? You allow that person to do 10 times the work they could otherwise, you know, the bionic arm is kind of nice because it's like, you know, you still have a human, you know, whatever going over and lifting the box, but now, you know, you can lift a thousand pounds, right? You know, you can shot put, I mean, I don't know exactly, uh, so are you, you saying are you are you saying that this means that like say I had to do you know a, a really important agreement with a corporation or say I'm getting investment for a startup right it's a big one mm. term sheets right and those those are historically three to five thousand dollars from a lawyer right you know that's the price that I've gotten mm-hmm. so is this is are you telling me I can get a boilerplate term sheet from an investor pass it through the AI it tells me well these are the things you should look at and then I could highlight those things I don't have to worry about ninety percent of the contract and instead totally. I, I tell the lawyer look this is a term sheet. I've already gone through 90% of it. These are the yeah. three things I need to highlight. Let's talk about those three things. He only yeah. charges me for an hour and I get charged 200 bucks. Yeah. That, is, that, that, is, that, yeah is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. We see stuff like that all the time. You know, like customer onboarding is another great example is like, hey, you know, like I'm a big financial institution and like you're going to give me, you know, $10 million to invest on your behalf. The contract that says, here's what you're allowed to do with my money, you know, that is long, that is significant. And you've got to understand every piece of that. So, you know, the AI in that case, what it does is it says, okay, you know, this hundred page long document, it's got to go to, you know, these 14 different departments and, you know, like finance has to review this part and you have to review that part, right. Has to keep it all straight and sort of flag for each one of them. Okay. Here are the four clauses that like these, you know, you really want to focus on these 10, you know, like whatever that that's boilerplate. Got it. All right. So aside from documents, because we, we covered that already extensively, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Um, AI, I mean, I've covered, I've, I've had some episodes in terms of AI and the future of where AI is going to be assisting humans in general, not just, you know, with work. So what do you think is going to be the next big part of, you know, the AI revolution in terms of society and like, you know, humankind in general? I, you know, one, one place in AI that I think uh, is often underappreciated is actually the intersection with creativity and art. Um, you know, it, it's actually, it's really funny. So uh, uh, one of the original uh, founders of Indico, uh, Alec Radford, this was how he kind of got into the space originally. Uh, is these computational art projects. And I think that, um, you know, Adobe has done a really good job of adopting some of these features where they're sort of figuring out, you know, things like neural style transfer, right? And, and I think, you know, first and foremost, it's it's a great example of, it really doesn't make sense, I think, for anyone to say like, oh yeah, we're going to like replace artists. No, we're going to turn this into like an incredible set of tools in their arsenal. And I'm just really, really excited for an increase in the accessibility of that stuff. Well, and isn't that just the difference between a human and an AI is that humans have creativity and we we have, you know, this innate ability to create things, whereas AI is taking a set of programmed you know, information or data, or they're, they're pulling information from resources. They're learning based on, again, data. Whereas we are just thinking of things and we're, you know, creating things and they, they don't have that kind of thought process. They only know what we tell them. Right. I mean, isn't that kind of how it works? I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree, I think with anything you're saying, but I think I would frame it differently. Um, yeah, I'd, only, I'd only because I think thoughts. creativity is, is sort of a fuzzy thing, 
right? And I think yeah. that anyone looking at the output of, you know, something in, in neural style transfer, right, or, or these generative models, right, or, or Deep Dream, if you, you know, check these things out, they're like super cool to Google, just like awesome videos to watch. But, you know, someone, someone looking at that, it, it's a hard argument to make to say computers aren't creative because they are creating these incredible one-of-a-kind works of art. But I, I you know, I, I very much agree they are only doing what we tell them to do. But we can, for instance, tell them to be creative for a particular definition of creativity, right? Right, because I mean, I've seen like the AI that created a one of a kind, you know, artistic painting only. based based on like Rembrandt and Renoir and Picasso and all these, you know, artists. So it saw like a million paintings and then it painted its own version of it. So are we, is that really creative or is that imitation? It's a great question, right? But I think what I do is I, I flip the question around, right? Which is what is great art? And I think here's where people get caught up, right? Which is I, I would go ahead and assert there's not an objective standard of great art, right? And so in, in the same way that there's not an objective standard of great art, there's not necessarily some objective standard of creativity. And what we are trying to do is explicitly mimic, you know, what humans like, you know, what humans think is creative. And so it's not that this is a, a limitation on AI. It's not that we, you know, like haven't broken through that. It's that there's not necessarily another way for it to be, right? Is, you know, we're creating tools for us. And so it only makes sense that we're in control of that definition of success. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, eventually, uh, you know, I'm sure you agree with this too, is, is, once the singularity happens, which we're all patiently waiting for that, right? Uh, once that happens, that is when supposedly AI will become infinitely more powerful and knowledgeable than human history combined. And then maybe it would have some sort of creativity and be able to be autonomous. And how far along do you think we are from having the singularity happen? I, I don't. So I think that um, I, I would divorce things, you know, I think pretty, pretty heavily from each other there. Um, so I think a uh, like say the singularity happens, right? The question of what AI is in a post singularity world, I think it's not really defined probably at that point, or it's exactly what it is today, right? It hasn't necessarily changed, and there's you know like a singularity person, and AI would still be a, a separate thing by by its very definition. Um, and I think that's another thing that people don't necessarily. And, and sorry, I guess the other thing that I would say is that. I think that when people talk about things like uh, like AGI and, and superintelligence and whatnot, I think that um, it's a very comforting thought in a lot of ways. But I think that more than anything, it's sort of a, a genie in the bottle sort of pitch, right? I think that it, it's sort of, um, again, it, it's compelling. It's just this idea of like, oh, network effects and intelligence and somehow, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, all the world's problems are solved, Right. Uh, I mean, but that's, I think that's, that's the problem. That's the is idea, that it, right? <laughs> that is the idea. But I think that, and you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm too uh, too. So, so, so do focus, you not do you, do you not think that you know when the singularity happens, AI is is a thing, and instead I, of Skynet, we get this all powerful, uh, you know, AI that starts creating robots and starts being able to kind of do things that help the world instead of hurt the world. I, you, you I, don't, I you don't think, think that's that, possible. Uh, I, I think that the notion of autonomous AI is rooted in science fiction. Uh, more than anything and and it's importantly it's not a technical limitation like it's a a limitation of like it's not a concept that you can actually you know like define in reality i i would suppose right? well aren't we living in a sci-fi world i mean we have iphones and satellites and spaceships and we you know go to the moon and i mean in, we in some ways right but there know? are things that 
can exist and things that only exist in science fiction, for instance, right? And I think, you know, for instance, like Ultron, like Age of Ultron, right? Like that's science fiction, but it's science fiction that can't possibly exist in reality, right? And right. that's what I kind of argue is that that's the only place where you see sort of this notion of super intelligence. And I would argue in, you know, like in, uh, in like realistic science fiction, it's not something which you can actually, you know, define, right outside and that's why i kind of refer to it as a genie in the bottle right it's it's not like you're you're pointing at you know oh you know we create you know a photovoltaics uh cell whatever that's 90 percent efficient which like you know whatever that that's impossible like you can't actually do that but you can define it right and be like all right what would the ramifications of that be if we successfully created such a thing where do you see uh ai kind of evolving in business in the business world over the next decade or a couple decades um, from your perspective like what you're working on like where do you th- where do you see it really helping businesses yeah so i think a lot of the main uh advances that we see sort of looking forward have to do with the sort of uh you know control pains i would say right as what we've done is we've kind of really vastly outstripped our ability to uh, sort of instruct if you will so, so an example, for instance, uh, in, in one of the most recent uh, OpenAI papers, uh, Clip, uh, have you heard of zero-shot learning? I have not. Okay. So zero-shot learning is just this idea that you have a model that works without uh, training data, right? Um, and it turns out it, it's not really a thing, right? So, so for instance, right, what they've done is, and, and you know, we've created tons of models that, that do this, right? And, uh, you know, you imagine, so ImageNet is a good example. So you've got a data set, it's got a thousand images in a thousand classes, you know, dogs, trains, cars. And if you can figure out what each image is, the idea is that's, you know, some, some kind of indication of artificial intelligence. And so people have been making, you know, for a long time, uh, these, uh, you know, models that basically do this without using any of the ImageNet training data. Um, but really what they're doing, right, and, and this is what you call zero-shot learning, but really what they're doing is that they're using the, the label, right, the name of that label, say car or plane or train, that then becomes the training data. So really what it is, is it's just very, very low shot, you know, like less than one example learning. Um, and, and it was really interesting. Uh, there's this whole field now called prompt uh, engineering, right, where the idea is that by packing words around that prompt, you know, so plain, so you say rather than rather than framing, you know, plain and like link it to plain, you ask the AI, like, is this a picture of a plane? And is it like, it sounds kind of like a, a dumb thing, right? But by just adding that definition, you radically, radically improve these models uh, to the point where just some really basic tweaks, like, is this a picture of a plane? Like, are you, how sure are you, this is a picture of a plane? Uh, you get, you know, like the same efficacy as four times the amount of training data. Uh, sounds like you're making, it sounds like you're making it think like, is this, you know, are, are you looking at something? Are you, you know, is this something? And it has to kind of like you're, process you're and think. framing the problem correctly. That is what you're yeah. doing. Right. It, like sense. it has all of the information already. It's just that we don't have the ability to ask the question in the right way yet. That's what I would say. Awesome. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, where can businesses or listeners uh, learn more about what it is you do or if they need, you know, your service or whatnot? Yeah, uh, you can go to Indico.io to learn more about Indico uh, or, you know, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Quora. Cool, man. Appreciate it, Slater. This was a pretty, pretty interesting. I learned quite a bit about AI and I didn't stuff I didn't know about. So it's pretty cool. Hope you listeners also learn something new and uh, we will see everyone in next week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you learned something in today's episode, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. 
You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, on Amazon. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. Also, you can support this podcast by leaving me a positive review and also by visiting patreon.com slash strap on your boots to become a member and get bonus material. See you in next week's episode.